Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of No Reserve, Haggerty's podcast about the enthusiast car market. Now, we're here to help you make sense of the market, whether you're buying, selling, or just watching. Okay, $51 million. That's what a Ferrari just sold for. It's the second highest price paid for a car at an auction. In this episode, we'll bring you all the background behind that huge sale, plus a whole host of cars that the rest of us can afford. I'm Larry Webster, editor of Haggerty Media, and I'm joined by Dave Kinney, the publisher of the Haggerty Price Guide. Between the two of us, we've got decades of experience buying, selling, and driving the cars we love. Plus, we don't just guess at the values, we're backed up by the data of the Haggerty Valuation Tools. Okay, let's get into it. All right, Dave, we're talking on Wednesday, November 15th. We're just two days after some really big news in the car world. Would you explain what I'm talking about? Oh, there's this little thing called the Ferrari GTO. Uh, perhaps Ooh. you've heard of it? Yes, I've heard of it. Yeah. And uh, one of them sold this week in uh, New York City. Uh, uh -huh. It was a, a Sotheby's sale. Now, RM and Sotheby's are, are, are related, but this was a, a sale that was done at Sotheby's headquarters. And this is all in the middle of Art Week. Uh, which is important. And um, the car reached uh, the highest price ever paid for a Ferrari at auction. Uh, and that was $51.7 million. And Whoa. I watched it. I watched it uh, you know, live on the live stream. Did you see oh, yeah. it? I didn't watch it. I mean, this was such an anticipated auction. We all knew this GTO was coming up and they only built, what, 36 of these cars? Mm -hmm. If memory yeah. serves. Yeah, so I think that's right. Yeah, they're a highest coveted Ferrari. Is that a crazy statement or you say it's true? It's true. Um, I, you know, right now and things change, but I, I, it's been that way for a long, long time. Um, this was built as a 330 LM slash 250 GTO, and that's another little bit of the story here. <laughs> um, I did watch it live. There were 10 bids. It mostly went in $2 million increments until oh close gosh. to the end. Um, and it was a little bit anticlimactic. I mean, they got the job done. There's no doubt about it, but there was no, you know, uh, breathtaking moments in the sale to me, to me. Okay. Um, well, so, Dave, could we look at a GTO as it's not, it's a weird, it's a weird car to use as a bellwether for the classic car market because oh yeah. in, my, in my view, because so few are made, but enough were made. It's not like there are five of these things. There's 36 of them. And so I've often wondered why these are essentially the most valuable series production car in the car world, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it gets you to be a member of a club with, uh, you know, uh, you know, people whose names, you know, own GTOs. Uh, of course, Nick Mason of, uh, Pink Floyd owns one. I mean, a whole bunch of other people and they take these things out and like every five years they'll do a, a tour with the cars, which is just absolutely amazing. You're, you've got, you know, $50 million cars, $60 million, $70 million cars, and they're all out on the road, uh, you know, at the same time. But it's, it's, you think of it as the most expensive car country club that you could ever enter. And you need one of these cars to be a member of that club. Well, in the canon of Ferrari history, um, the, the 250 GTO is an important car because it came right after this thing called the 250 short wheelbase. Right. And it had a number of technological improvements. It, it, it changed the oiling system of the car so they could lower the engine in it. And it had a little bit longer with a more aerodynamic body shape, which especially um, comparatively to anything else there, these things are gorgeous. Uh, but it, it's also the last front engine racing Ferrari. But on the, the, the factory, this wasn't really a factory race car. It was a customer race car, right? 
Well, factory and customer, I guess. There's, you know, you have to read the history, and the and the history on these things are always ah, a little, nuance. you know, always a little nuanced, right? Mm, so uh, yeah. each one is a little different, uh, you know, and every car is different because even though there's, you know, thirty some odd cars out there, mm-hmm. everyone has a different history. Some won, you know, major races, or some were privateer raced. Mm-hmm. Um, this was apparently campaigned by the factory. Um, and there were, you know, a bunch of differences, uh, you know, some of the cars are completely recreated because they were in a, uh, really bad accident. And when I say completely recreated, I'm mostly talking about the body, uh, and they were race cars. So having the original engine isn't something that's guaranteed in a race car, you know, Mm -hmm. you swap it out when you need it. So, um, I think that the, the biggest thing is, is that they're just so painfully beautiful. I think that they're so easy on the eyes, so beautiful, graceful lines that flow from, you know, from the start to the finish. And so, uh, and this became the most expensive Ferrari ever sold at auction. Now, the caveat on that is, is that we are almost certain that other ones have sold for more money, but not at auction. And we find that all the time, these private treaty, that's what they're called. Private treaty sales sometimes exceed the auction price. So, right. uh, you know, we're not privy to them. We don't know that, uh, you know, Bob Jones and, and Doug Smith uh, just swapped cars until it, it happens that we see Doug Smith driving Bob Jones's old GTO. Uh, and so there's a lot of speculation there. So, uh, uh, you know, I, there's it, it's more speculation than anything else. And because these cars are so popular, just like in the art market, when it's sold privately, you really don't know yeah. how much it went for. But it's always fun because, you know, they're going to fetch a big number. That private yeah. sale number is rumored to be 80 million for one of these. Right. Um, yeah. I think they're they're hugely coveted. And, and let me have a hypothesis. I think this is the end of the ro- most romantic era in Ferrari's history. Right. Because. Right after the war, Colombo, uh, Enzo Ferrari hires Colombo to design a V12. He designs it. That engine serves Ferrari throughout the 50s where he's winning Formula One and sports car races and really establishing his name as this premier builder of high-performance automobiles. And then everybody caught up to him. So by the 60s, he's really got competition from the Ford GT40, you know, all the, the companies in Britain. So that this GTO was the last front-engine kind of basic architecture similar that lasted through the 50s. This was the last of that breed. Do you buy that? Yeah, this was the end of the origin story for Ferrari. Mm. After this, after this, yeah, after this, it goes into regular production and the cars that they sold to customers, the, you know, the, the non-race cars become more important uh, going forward because, uh, you know, I think Ferrari, it's generally well known that he would prefer not to have built production cars, apparently, uh, he just needed the money to go racing. And right. so, uh, uh, you know, that's, that's part of that. I will say we got a caveat with one more thing that you're not thinking about yet. Oh, yeah. How about this? The Ferrari movie is coming out I was gonna and it's going to be out. That. Yeah. It's going to be out very shortly. And the early word is that it is the best automotive movie of all time. Yeah. I've so if, if that hits hard and I mean hard, and it becomes, well, you remember Ford versus Ferrari. I mean, your aunt was talking about it. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, your uncle went and saw it who doesn't know anything about cars. If this becomes a movie like that, I think that it's a Katie bar the door for some of these not, not necessarily going to make a difference in GTO prices, but it'll make a difference in some of the production car prices and raise the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the kind of 
front of mind thought mm. uh, thought process. You're right. St- uh, 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 stature with the public. So we'll yeah. see what happens. Well, we'll it's fascinating, too, because of the 36, you know, they're, it's, they're actually split into Series 1 and Series 2 cars. Right, and right. That were built from 62 to 64. This is a 62, so it's a Series 1 which is, is much more beautiful, I think, than the Series 2, which had a sort of cam back, um, and it was the squatter for better aerodynamics. So the Series 1, I believe, are the more valuable of the two, yeah? Yeah, I think the, the, the world agrees with that, that the Series 1 is the most valuable. But this did have a 330 engine in it, um, as opposed to the 250 engine. And the 250 engine, like you were just saying, was the legendary engine, yeah. uh, the 330, you know, a brand extension, basically. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with a 330 engine, and there's nothing in the world wrong with a 250 engine. But, uh, this, uh, you know, I like 250 short wheelbases. They're available for, what, one-fourth of the price, something like that, or even less. Yeah, they're gorgeous. Um, and, uh, and they're also a very good-looking car, but it's not quite the exclusive club that the GTO club is. So, uh, um, you know, the way they sold this car at, at, at Art Week was really interesting because I think in a, like not too long before this Ferrari sale, Picasso sold for $139 million. It's a painting, right? Yeah, and you can't even drive it. What, yeah. are, what are these people thinking? And so every time I think these GTO prices are out of whack, I look at that <laughs> exactly. and I'm like, well, maybe it's not so out of whack. I mean, geez, you know. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, you know, back in the day, it was like some, you know, some piece of furniture that sold for the same price as a GTO when GTOs were $12 million or something like that. And you're going, okay, I think I know which one I'd prefer. But, you know, man, that, you know, it's just the way of the world, I guess, because the art world you know, leads it all. But I'd rather have, um, I'd rather have one GTO than a room full of NFTs. How's that? Well, I mean, I think you, you just spoke to it earlier. This Ferrari movie's coming out. There's going to be a lot of attention, especially on that era of Ferrari in the fifties. Um, I think with a car like this, it, it, where and how it's sold, I don't think it matters, right? Cause the people who have the money, they already know about the GTO. So if it's sold, they auctioned it after the movie. I don't know if it would have changed the price or if it was at a <laughs> bigger auction for more cars? I mean, tell me, what am I wrong? Well, I mean, uh, you know, this was a big auction because everybody knew about it. So, I mean, and New York's hardly a, you know, a a hard place to get to, uh, you know, so I I think that uh, I don't know where the car sold. I, we don't have any idea yet, uh, whether it's sold to North America or somewhere else. But in the meantime, um, it's a big deal because it was the most expensive Ferrari sold at auction, but you do have to caveat it with the fact that we're Almost positive that more have sold at higher prices. So uh, if we could look at how this is is or is not a measure of the broader market. For the past few episodes, we've been discussing, like, there are great deals out there. It's really becoming a good tie to buy. What this tells me, this sale is, it's a really strong number, 50 freaking million dollars, is sort of confirms what you're always telling me, which is that these blue chip cars are unaffected by the rest of the market. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, you know, they're in a little bit different of a tax structure than you and me, I would think, the people who buy these cars. Um, so, you know, uh, it's it's one of those things where there's only a handful, well, a few handfuls of people in the world who have the desire to buy it and the money to buy it. I think uh, almost everybody who's a car person would, when educated about the car, would have the desire to buy it. But uh, very few people have the money. Now, I will say, interestingly, that RM did have a figure of 60 million on this car uh, prior to the sale. Um, it was, uh, you know, part of their advertising that you figure know, that, for what, like what it should go for, for, for what, oh, I yeah, guess. But they always put a stretch goal in there, don't they? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, I would. I mean, yeah. you know, you're not you're not going to say, you know, we're thinking more than thirty million. I mean, you know, when you know it's not going to be that. Mm -hmm. So yes, I mean, there's nothing wrong. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, and I don't think this is can be interpreted as a sign of a hot market or a uh, right. uh, a calm market or a slowing down or cooling market at all. I think this is a you know this is kind of a separate car. This is like the you know, when all the when all the houses in, uh, you know, in Ann Arbor are selling for $850,000 <laughs> and one sells for $14 million, it doesn't mean that your $850 million, uh, your $850,000 house is worth more or less. They're in a different, in a different marketplace. Yeah. You know, the, the Haggerty, you guys in the valuation team, you actually have a blue chip index because yep. these cars are separate from the rest of the car market, cars like the GTO. And yep, yep. Um, so I think I would say. I would say if you're looking for a car to track, if you had to have one single car, it'd be the 300 SL, yeah. um, either the Gullwing or the Roadster, because they're now tracking very similar in terms of prices. I'd go with the Gullwing because I'm old school. Yeah. Uh, but uh, um, but if I had to own just one, I'd probably own a Roadster. So, uh, but in the meantime, I think that's the car that that probably is the best market watcher of all. You know, from you know, basically a million to two million for restored cars is is right now where we're talking. Sometimes less, sometimes more. So those are they're not obtainable by all by any stretch of the imagination. But if you enter the world of million dollar cars, you've got a hell of a lot more people who have the potential wherewithal to buy. Yeah. Well, let's move on, Dave. It's certainly fascinating. I hope the new owner gets out and enjoys this car. Um, you know, it's what else do you say? It's gorgeous. Let's mo let's move on to our our opening bid segment this is where we talk about cars that are previously sold. I want to start with this one that you highlighted that sold on the Haggerty marketplace because it's a complete 180 from that Ferrari. It's a 1929 <laughs> Ford model a it's a wood wagon. And, uh, Dave, what struck me about this thing was it sold for $17,000, which I thought was, I mean, it's fascinating to me that people are still buying these things and ratcheting up the prices. Does that, it, it, it yeah. got more than I thought it would. I think it got more than I thought it would too, but a depot hack is one of those things. A depot hack is, uh, okay, so it's basically the grandfather of the station wagon, yeah. which means it's the great grandfather of the S SUV. So, which I guess means the great, great grandfather of the CUV, right? But anyhow, um, uh, these were, these were kind of utilitarian vehicles. They were called depot hacks because you could drive them to the train depot and uh. pick up your, your chickens or your passengers or whatever and put them in, uh, not exactly an air conditioned comfort, but, uh, but it was a great way to, uh, to store people and, uh, and cars and bring them around. This was an early one at 29, uh, you know, model A. Uh, you know, decent looking car. There's nothing wrong with it. 17 is, is pretty good money for these, but the depot hack, I think is one of the more desirable, uh, body styles. It's all wood. Um, you know, not the most complicated wooden body by any stretch of the imagination. This is something that a, a couple of very talented carpenters could put together if they wanted to. Um, but it's, I, I guess it's, it's one of the ultimate fun cars in the old car, in the old car world, because it, uh, it puts a smile on everybody's face when it drives by. Well, it proves the notion that we say, like, okay, uh, as generations move on and the cars of our youth get newer, right? Like, uh, I'm Gen X, so, you know, as we talk about 80s era's cars are going to appeal to my generation. In general, there's exceptions. It doesn't mean the cars built before that uh, fall off a cliff value-wise. They sort of reach a floor, and they have an intrinsic value. And that's what this Model A proves to me, is that, wow, okay, there's not many people 
uh, still around or buying cars that grew up with this Model A on the road. Well, uh, there are no there are no original owners left. That's for darn <laughs> that's sure. That's for sure. So, uh, so might have been might have been if they bought it when they were uh, you know a, a one year old, but that's about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you're right. I mean this this shows that there are still people. I mean they built 15 million Model A's. Okay, I mean that's wow. quite a few. And when you consider there were so many less people in the United States and on the planet back then, no, good um, point. You yeah. know that that was a a very good portion of the population you know, who bought Model A. So there are a lot of people who have memories of a family Model A, but that's about it. But yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, these things are not easy to drive. I mean, they're they're not as hard to drive as the earlier cars, the Model Ts, for example. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, this is not a car you want to get in and, and drive cross country. Um, famously, Haggerty had, uh, uh, you know, the 365 days of A, if you remember that yeah. project from well over 10 years ago, where uh, one of the Haggerty people got in it and drove it as a daily for uh, an entire year. And, you know, it was there were some challenging times when uh, when the snow fell. But, uh, sure. uh, you know, but in the springtime, it's perfect car because it's basically you know, an open air car, open, to, you know, convertible as much as you want and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, these things are incredibly versatile. They're the cockroaches of the car world. When everything <laughs> else dies, they'll still be there. They'll still be they'll Model still, A's. Right. And there'll still be somebody who can fix them. And keep in mind, these were designed to be, you know, fixed on the, uh, on, the on a table, a table in the barn. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we don't have to worry about rebuilding the engine in a clean room. We just need a place where there's you know, not straw and flies. Okay. So yeah. Oh, uh, by the way, yeah. funny you mentioned it. We just ran a piece on an outfit that there's actually people casting new blocks for Model A's engine blocks. I did not know that. That's yeah, really there cool. Because they get porous, they age and they yeah. stop. They, they, they're just going to seep oil. So these people are casting them. So even a car this old still has a lot of value and a lot of interest. And, you know, 7,600 people went to this Haggerty auction. And I mean, that brought all the eyeballs. That's that enough people bid up, bid it up to this price, which again, great. I mean, it's great for all of us that love this hobby, but let's move on. What's the next car on your list that you'd like to talk about? Oh, let's see. Let's, um, can we go, uh, up one to, uh, where we have the 64 Imperial crown convertible oh, that sold great. at Las Vegas car. I know nothing about great. Excellent. Okay. Dude. Yeah. Great. Well, then I'll talk a lot and you can just listen. How many? Let's play a little game here. You don't know this answer and you're going to be wrong no matter what. And I'm not expecting you to know this answer because I think this 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 one blew me away. Okay. 1964, 1964 Imperial Crown Convertible. Notice. I didn't say Chrysler Imperial Crown Convertible wow. because mm. Imperial was chasing or you could say leading if you wanted to Continental. Uh, who at one point was its own division, but then went back to being Lincoln Continental and Cadillac at this point. So this was the third choice. If you're shopping a Caddy, if you're shopping a Continental, this was your third choice. Wait, Dave, How many can, of I, these can con- I bring that to the modern day? This was Chrysler's, this was like to Chrysler as Lexus is to Toyota. There you go. That's okay. exactly right. Uh, whew, so, um, so how many of these do you think they built in 1964, the Imperial Crown Convertible? Oh, wow. I'm going to say 10,000. You know, that would have been my initial thought. How about if I told you it was less than a tenth of that? 922 of these. Get out. And then when the years go by, by 67, they're they're almost in the single digits with these things. There were so few of these things made. 
This one sold for $16,500. Now, you know, I didn't see the car in person, but I looked at the pictures pretty clearly. I hate the top. The top does not fit well. But everything else, it's green with a green interior, something you yeah. never see in, in, you know, in today's age. I think this was a stinking great buy. 47,000 miles. Of course, you can't rely on an odometer from, you know, 1964 uh, really well because it might have been fixed or it might have been broken or who the hell knows. But anyhow, great lines. I think these things, they don't rival the Continental because I think the Continental would win. But they were... Win what? They were... Uh, you know, in a beauty contest. Oh, okay. I think a, I think a, a Continental, and of course the Continental had the uh, top that's stored in the trunk at this era. So, um, but, uh, you know, for this kind of money, what a great, what a great cruiser. And I might add, there's room for you and all of your friends because like six, seven people can fit in these things. Oh, it's super cool. I mean, I like thinking about, uh, this is 64. It's got no tail fins. It's very much a 60s kind of Mad Men era crisp line design. And just four years ago, right, the Eldorado had these massive 50s tail fins. So how quick design was evolving back at this time, you know. And, and you win amazing. again because because there was a 64 um, uh, uh, Imperial in Mad Men, the uh, TV no show. No way. Really? Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Our our, uh, our protagonist in that uh, drove a uh, 64 Imperial for a short period of time. So, uh, <sighs> yeah, it's a, it is a real Mad Men car. And this was, you know... Uh, you're you're absolutely right That's again cool. because the uh, the Eisenhower era where everybody mm. wore hats and had you know a, yeah. a suit on and all that sort of stuff quickly gave way to the Kennedy era where all that was gone and the fins went with it so uh, fins were fins were fifties and and these kind of clean edgy lines uh, were uh, were totally nineteen sixties. Now the the interesting thing about this car one of the reasons I think it, it's such a reasonable price and it again highlights all these interesting machines you can get for not a lot of money is mechanically it's Chrysler. So the parts are probably out there and available. But if you ever get in a wreck and you start bending this trim and it's toast, you're you're in a little bit of hurt, aren't you? Yeah, well, with only 922 built, let's just say they made an extra hundred of the pieces of trim after that. Yeah. You know, something like that or 200. Yeah, it's it's going to be rough. The good news is there there seems to always be a 64 Imperial convertible for sale. I saw one really? sold recently for 45 grand, a much nicer one. And I see them out there huh. at the same kind of price, which I just think is is just outrageously great price for this uh also mm. Mad Men, but also, of course, uh, you know, mid-century modern look. Yeah, and great mid-century colors. I mean, green with Beautiful green. Colors. Come on. That's yeah. great colors. What a, yeah. Uh, thanks for highlighting that. I mean, it's, it's I see all the reasons. I'm going to have to agree with you, which I don't like to do. But I want to move on to the car that's like the running. It's my personal running joke in the auction world. And that's the Toyota Land Cruiser. Um, oh, yeah. Tell us about yeah. this. This one that you, yeah. So, uh, for those uninitiated, the Toyota Land Cruiser was one of those cars, and I, you know, I'm going to have to say it's 15 years ago now, and it's probably about right, that went from nowhere to hero like overnight. All of a sudden, you'd see these things at every auction after a few of them sold for 70 and 80 and then $100,000. Now, That's the Land insane. Cruiser, again, we're talking you know the, the 70s version of the cockroach. You can't kill them. Uh, they're great build You can quality. kill them. You can rust them to nothing in six months. Well, yeah, you live in Michigan, so I guess that's possible. <laughs> but, but, uh, but you're not going to kill the engine. You're not going to kill the chassis. It's a, it's, it's really well, you know, well over engineered in a great Toyota way. But anyhow, um, these things went up so high and so fast. 
And then everybody went out and restored them. And then all of a sudden, when they come on the marketplace, there's not 300 people who wanted to buy one one year. There's maybe 100 people or 150 people. So the price goes down. This one, a completely restored car, not restored to the absolute nines, in my opinion. And with the uh, they put a jerry can on the uh, on the side of it, which I think takes away from the look of the car. Oh. I would have put it on the back, but that's all personal preference. Sold for under 30 grand, 28.6. Come on. Yeah. So these have really taken a tumble is what you're saying over the last five years, haven't they? Yeah. And of course, uh, there's different body styles and this is not the most popular. It's got the canvas soft top and canvas doors. Uh, but dune beige, you know, the, the normal color you see these beige, things. And yeah. yeah, I know. I know. They almost all are. But somebody spent a lot of money on this. And this is the way you want to buy one. Sadly, you want to you want to be the guy who you know, buy somebody else's restoration. And I think this has got a long, long time to go on it for the next owner. Yeah. The thing that uh, always amazed me about those high prices, I mean, these are essentially like, they're barely, like, you know, they sort of have barely crawled out of the ooze of a farm field. Like they're so tractor-ish, right? I oh, mean, yeah. it's like, forget about going on the highway with these things. Like it's just coffee runs and maybe cars and coffee. Like unless you have a ranch, then you're good. Oh yeah, and it's and it's a great multi-purpose vehicle. I mean, once again, you can you know drive around town in it and look cool doing it, and also uh, you know put stuff in the back. And of course, they all almost all have a trailer hitch on them. I, I would think this one does. I, I, yeah, sure it does. Uh, so it's got a class three hitch on it. Looks like maybe class two hitch, and it's all good to go. So you can haul stuff. Um, it is a utility vehicle, as I say, and of course four wheel drive. Yeah, somebody somebody uh, bought something. I think had a really good buy there. But I mean, as an off-road vehicle, I want to segue into our next one, which I'm super interested to talk about because, of course, this car was on our bull market list last year. Um, and I want to see what it did. This is a 2006 Hummer H1. This is the military or civili civilian version of the military Hummer. Arnold Schwarzenegger drove one. Dave, how did this one do? Are you sitting down, Larry? Yes. 200 and $31,000. You're kidding me. No. This is a 2006 Hummer H1 with 10,510 miles. Sold at the Mecham auction. By the way, these last three cars, this car and the previous two, were all at the Mecham auction. Uh, in Las Vegas, the right place to be at an auction uh, because it's so hot out. But uh, anyhow, yeah, $231,000. I mean, you, I just don't... You still I, there? You still I, there? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> here's where my, like, I'm like, we are brilliant because this is a car, our bull market list. What we try and do, right, is sure. you, me, a whole bunch of us, we get together, we look at all the data and we try and give people an idea of cars that they can buy that aren't going to really depreciate. They might appreciate a little bit, you know, get higher in value. But the whole goal is to say, like, you can buy this car, you can enjoy it, and then you can sell it for about what you paid. And you had a great time and it almost cost you nothing. And the Hummer H1 was on that list. I, I remember thinking like, I drove it because we had a big shoot and they're just as crude and loud oh, and yeah, wide yeah. as you can imagine. And I thought, yeah, maybe, I don't know who's buying these, but okay. And it turns out based on this sale, we were really ahead of the curve on that, weren't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think a, a pat on the back is deserved uh, you know, for you, Larry. This we is called not, it. 
Yeah, this is not. This is not a number one car. This is not the world's most excellent example. It just happens to be a low miles example. 231,000. When I looked at this, when I saw <sighs> this auction, I'm thinking, oh, you know, this this car, you know, I, you know, frankly, when you think about it, I think my number was probably between 80 and 100, something like that. Not $231,000. So I don't know what to, what's going on here, uh, whether well, this is I'm a one-off that's not going to happen again. Okay, let me offer a guess, okay? See, yeah. see if you like this. It's a diesel. Right. And, you know, the diesels were kind of simple, but there is the potential that you could burn, you know, different kinds of oil in it. And uh, this is based on a shop. I was at this shop called uh, AI Design in New York uh, earlier this summer, and they had one of these H1s in there. And they were building this entire custom car with gun racks and four different satellite receivers and radars. And the, the owner was building it into the zombie acomp, uh, apocalypse vehicle. Now, wait, where was this shop? In uh, Tuckahoe, New York. How far is that from New York City? Oh, it's not that far, like 30 miles. Yeah, okay. So um, this is the perfect... New York urban assault vehicle, right? You don't have exactly. to worry. You don't have to worry about that cab uh, running into you at a stoplight. It's I just not going not gonna to hurt a thing. I just wonder if there's like, there is that like um, desire still kind of the prepper type desire. Yeah. You know, if, the, if, if everything hits the fan, I'm taking my, my assault vehicle and I'm going to be just fine. And maybe people are, that's part of the attraction. I don't know. It's a guess, but <laughs> I don't know what else to say about a two hundred thousand dollar H one. A friend of mine who's thought this through, his zombie couple. Uh, <laughs> now we both. Oh yeah, say so it. people are yeah. thinking about it. Yeah, his his zombie apocalypse vehicle <laughs> is a motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> to yes. get him to his private jet. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, he doesn't own the private jet, but it's uh, <laughs> but that that that's his zombie apocalypse okay. vehicle, and I kind of like that. So this would be trouble getting through those New York City streets if everybody's out in there, especially with New York drivers. So uh, you know that'd be a problem. So, but yeah. uh, you know, I we're going to be watching this one because uh, uh, this watching sale the Hummers, means, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. This sale means uh, either something's changing or somebody was. Uh, Really, really exuberant about getting this uh, this particular H1. I, I can't figure it out yet, but we'll figure it out. Okay, the last one is a personal favorite of mine. It was sold on Bring a Trailer, <laughs> and it, it, it's a 1983 Honda Civic hatchback. And this is like the CVCC era. It's right. over $30,000. Oh, my gosh. But, you know, hey, Larry, I put this in here for you because it's got a manual. Okay. Yeah. How many of these things actually had manuals? Oh, I think I most don't, of them. No, no, oh, totally. no, no. No, they had that uh, that early manumatic transmission. I think I think the uptake rate on the on the automatics was well over 50% on these things. By well, 83 especially. I mean these things were what? They came out in what? 75, 76 in this style, I think. They did. Yeah, and this was the car that uh really where Honda established its its powertrain expertise because yes. all the other domestic manufacturers are layering on catalytic converters and feedback carburetors, all in a vain attempt to meet the emissions requirements. And Honda shows up with this beautifully simple system in a combustion chamber that met the requirements in a much cheaper, simpler fashion that nobody had figured out. And I think if anybody was listening, when this car arrived on our shores, this was like, uh-oh, these Japanese manufacturers, they are ready to clean our clock. And so yeah, this was 40 like the warning shot. Yeah, forty six hundred miles on this one, and uh, you know I I can't imagine I there's too many it. more with with less miles. Well, 
I mean, somebody believes it. Yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, you know, it was grandma's car and it's sad. Who the hell knows? My dad bought one in 1976. Okay. My dad always owned Lincoln's. Okay. Great story. He always owned Lincoln's, but he was concerned about the price of gas and the availability of gas. So he bought one. And of course, he bought a brown one with a white vinyl top that had all the you know stuff they put on <laughs> they the put back a vinyl then, top you know, the, on it. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> the side molding, you know, the whole thing. Um, dear old dad, and you know, and it was the, you know the vinyl top was probably an additional ninety dollars or one hundred twenty five dollars. But you know, my dad was like, you know, I'm determined. I'm going to drive this to work. I'm going to park the Lincoln. This thing gets great gas mileage. He drove it for about three weeks and then it went to my sister. So, uh, <laughs> so noisy. But, yeah, I know they were, but uh, they were great cars for their time. They were just, yeah. uh, yeah, they were, they were little tin boxes at the time. And, and it was, I will say big shout out to, uh, the Honda because where all the American manufacturers and most of the European manufacturers as well, were going, let's hire more lobbyists to try and get the, uh, you know, the emissions oh, the controls yeah. and the mileage down or, you know, the mileage uh, caps down or whatever. Um, Honda just went to work as an engineer and did the right thing and, and came up with this CVCT. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, CVCC uh, inline four, which is just a game changer and an amazing, amazing car. 30 grand. 30 I grand. Know. I mean, it's clean. It's, it's clean. Like, it's like paying 30 grand for it's like suddenly a Toyota Corolla is valuable. Right. That's that. That's the that's the same thing. It's like the uh, lowest market car you can buy is suddenly accident, a lot of money. Accident free Carfax. All right. Yeah. I'm going to buy one tomorrow and put it in the garage. And that's my okay. that's my retirement. No, plan. you need to use it. Be like my dad. Drive it for three weeks and give it to your daughter. Right. <laughs> well, Dave, let's move on to our kicking tire segment. This is where we talk about cars that are, are for sale now and uh, will be for the next week or so. The first one I want to start with. Because I need you to explain it to me because I don't know what it I don't know anything about it. It's on the Haggerty Marketplace. This is on the auction page. It's on the it's a nineteen fifty-nine Peerless GT phase <laughs> two. Oh okay. uh, say what? Yeah, I know. A British specialty car. Oh um, you know, if you kind of look at it and kind of squint a lot, you Aston say Martin. Hmm, is that an Aston Martin? Exactly. Totally. Well, it's a fiberglass Aston Martin without, really? uh, you know, w- w- without all the uh, without all the accessory baggage. This one has been modified, so it has a different engine in it. I believe it has a 240Z uh, Nissan running gear oh, in it, if good, I'm not good, mistaken. Good. Um, you know, so don't ask me what it's worth. I think it's a great looking car. Totally. Um, and and I mean, you know, one of those Exeterini cars that uh, instead of coming from uh, from Italy, came from England. Um, and uh, you know, there's some history on this car here. There's lots of photos. It's right now at $2,100, which of course, uh, we're going to have to split this one again. It's in Greece, New York, which I have no idea where it is, but I'm thinking that's, uh, upstate somewhere. Uh, lots of videos on this thing, a lot of, a uh, lot of descriptions on the thing, but the best part is the Peerless GT was entered in the 24 hour of Le Mans in no. 1958. Get out. Yes. Yes. They only made 325 of them. And that's just an estimate. Uh, but it's a Le Mans entry, uh, you know, and it did, uh, it did, wow. it, it came in 16th overall, Larry. Get I mean, come out. on. Oh I mean, this gosh. is an era when, when, you know, when major manufacturers would be thrilled to get a 15, 16 finish. Oh. So uh, anyhow, <laughs> rare, rare car. Uh, like, yeah, it does have a 74 Datsun 260Z inline six in it, which is, 
I'm going to say a good thing for me, but maybe not a good thing for originality. But, uh, you know, again, who cares? Uh, I love it. I just think it's great. And I what do an too. oddball car. And it's on the Haggerty Marketplace. And, you know, for rounding era money for most of the, I mean, if you buy a new car, your taxes are going to be $2,100. So, and it's not going to sell for that. Somebody's got to wise up and pay a lot more than that for this thing. Oh my gosh. It's super cool. Well, I mean, they put on this, this 007, uh, yeah. stuff on it. Cause it does sort of resemble Roundel. the Aston Martin, but, yeah. uh, beyond that, you know, to all the points you mentioned, a super like just unique car, you know, we don't know what it's going to get, but we expect it's going to be very reasonable money. And it has, you know, very uh, serviceable mechanicals. It should be really reliable. Just one of those cars you could really have a lot of fun with, I think is what we're both come to that conclusion. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Super cool. Okay. So what are you looking at? What's on your list? <laughs> yeah. Coming up next is an 83 Porsche 928. Uh-oh. Now, yeah, I know this has got a little bit of a little bit of a question are, mark with these it. These are scary cars. I owned one. Scary to begin with. And this one is a Langenberg conversion. So it's a wide body in that wonderful 80s way. One of what, three or four known. Um, this is a very challenging restoration. But it's also available on, uh, what is this, Facebook Marketplace? Yeah, yeah. Facebook Marketplace for $14,000. Now think about it. Think about what's happened with AMG. Think about what's happened with Roof. Think about what's happened with a number of the other, you know, specialty manufacturers. If you were to restore this car and keep it, I think this would be a car that would be a museum centerpiece someday. You still there? Uh, yeah. You still there? Uh, I don't know, Dave. I I I'm, I want to I want to support you. You're my friend, but I think you're off. You're uh, you're off your rocker on this deal. Well, I don't think I would pay fourteen thousand for it. Okay, I'm just just saying it's been available now for nineteen weeks, which means that <laughs> not too many people are uh, as excited about it as I am. Uh, the car runs with a t- you know with a gas can pouring down the. Uh, uh, <laughs> is this in carbureted? No, it's not. It's fuel injection. So insert it into the fuel injection somewhere. Uh, it is an actual physical car that people bought as a tuner car in 1983. And I, I'm just going to say it again. The tuner cars are going crazy from the 80s because of the interest in these things. It's not an AMG. I think the car looks, as we would say back in the day, totally bitching. Okay. okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, if, if I take your side for a minute, those <laughs> Koenig Y body AM or uh, Mercedes coupes, right. right? Tons of interest in those. Uh, this is sort of the Miami Vice era. This has these outlandishly wide fenders to it. Um, it's the same kind of area that was really big and, you know, oddly in Germany, right? You, you sort of expect that to be a very understated conservative culture, but here they're slapping on these massive fender flares. So maybe okay, there's something to it, but nobody knows what, that name. Landenberg is the problem. I think, I think it was a department store somewhere, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, just take a look at the pictures on the inside of this car. Cause I love this. Yeah. Not only does it have the wired in cell phone, it has a Blaupont Berlin radio, which oh, is the yeah. stock radio. And you can see evidence of the person who owned this car being a smoker for well over <laughs> most of its lifetime. And it's got a uh, radar detector all, you know, all installed as you would, uh, you know, at the, at the, sure. you know, the, the detail shop back in the day. So it's got absolutely nothing going for it except for all the cool accessories. 
you know, it would be fun maybe to to uh, find a better 928 and do the transplant of the body panels if you wanted to do that and make your own. Who the hell knows? I think it's great. I'm crazy. So What's what it for sale? What are they asking for? 14 grand. And it's been for sale for, what did I say, 19 weeks at 14 grand. So you get it for so, five. What's your lowest cash offer? <laughs> well, I, I was thinking four, but like, yeah, exactly. But, it's a uh, manual 928, yeah. yeah I just I mean, remember... The, the yeah. one I had, Dave, I had one for a brief second because somebody was selling. I think I bought it for two grand and it yeah. didn't have any I, rust. I, I would definitely show up at this guy's place with uh, $4,100 bills. That's what I would do. And, yeah. uh, you know, whatever. Hey, it's just just me. I mean, you know, the guy's probably not going to take any less than whatever his number is. But uh, it's an automatic, by the way. So you'd have to do a transplant with the transplant. Oh, I see. Yeah. The horror yeah. of these cars is the complexity. The oh, it's unbelievable. Had, but when I had it, something wasn't working right, and I had to go to the fuse box, and it's in the f- uh, passenger floor floor well, footwell. Yeah, where and where it could a, never get wet, right? Right. So you take this panel <laughs> off, and I, I mean, you, I wish you could have seen my face when I took the panel off, and I revealed this electrical <laughs> nightmare. It was a, a foot and a half long fuse and relay box, and I was like, oh my god, and um, so you have to chase the wiring when something's not working, as long as you know the relay is working. So I I took out the fuse box and looked behind it. All the wires were the same color. Because <laughs> usually you can trace it. Uh, this is a blue wire. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> what did I do? I mean, You have over. no business being here if you don't know how the wiring <laughs> works, right? <laughs> yes, you truly, you stupid American. Yes, of course. Okay, good luck to whoever uh, lands that gem. Um, this is a car I'm really pining for, Dave. It's it's it's. I just saw it this morning. It's right now for sale. I'm bringing a trailer. It's a 1988 BMW M3. Of course, that is the motorsports version of the uh, 330, or they call it 325 series BMW. This was the ultimate yuppie mobile. The motorsport right. version they they modified to make it really competitive in the European touring car series of the era. So they flared the fenders. It got this special. Motorsports, I call it S14 four-cylinder engine with about 190 horsepower. The there are so many videos of the racing from that era that was really close. They're jumping curves. I've wanted one of these cars forever. I'm priced. I can't afford them, but something like this, this is like right in my zone. Man, what I mean by that is it's so kind of hacked up. Somebody did it when these things were cheap that now I don't think many people are going to be interested in this car because it's got all these decals on it. A lot of the interior is removed, but it's not a full race car with a cage. It's just sort of weird in-betweener. It doesn't really fit anywhere. So I'm going to be watching this thing. Do you, do you understand where I'm coming from? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's a it's a track car. It's a race car. Um, I get it. It's, um, you know, Larry, you can be the opening bid. There's no bid on this. I, I assume that when you got up and you sleepless night last night at four o'clock and you turned on the computer, <laughs> you found this because it had just gone on bring a trailer, right? Uh, so I have an alert you can own this. Things. You yeah. can put it, you can put a thousand dollar bid on this and you can own it for, you know, at least 15 minutes until somebody comes out and, uh, you know, and beat you on it. But, uh, yeah, it's a hell of a lot of car, not something that, uh, winds my watch. So, uh, I mean, I, I get it, but, uh, uh, it's just so hard to prove what the right price is. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one uh, of those. Also where in, it's also in Ontario. So you got to, you know, you got to bring it back over the border. So uh, I don't know. It doesn't say this is a no reserve. So then there's a reserve on, on. I would have told the owner that this is probably a better no reserve auction. Right. And yeah, what I mean yeah, by that I, w- is, I would agree. I would agree. I sort of learned that when I just sold my Mustang on the Haggerty marketplace. He said, look, 
just do no reserve because it's telling the audience this car will sell. And that just sort of increases the excitement around it and gets people more likely to bid. And I didn't really know if I bought that, but now I do. Does that, do you agree with that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, you know that you're bidding to own the car rather than bidding to stroke the ego of the, of the seller. So, uh, uh, I mean, that's, that's a, a big deal right there. So, um, yeah, I, it's already got a thousand views. It has 250 watchers and, uh, and this thing, I guess, just started the auction, just started on this. So, uh, ends in seven days from today and today's the 15th. So do the math on it. Um, this is I mean, your a really, car. a really, I mean, a really good, des- orig- you, de- you deserve this car, Larry. I totally should, do. I, I've worked you hard. Should Dave. Take, you should take the Mustang <laughs> money and put it all, just put it all in this car right now. Just oh. bid what you sold the Mustang for right now. You'll probably own it. I'm going to do that. That's a good idea. Okay. Yeah. yeah thank you for that advice. But again, really, you don't, know, don't give your wife my cell phone number. <laughs> <laughs> I just find, I find it fascinating. These little niches within a market because a really good uh, E30 M3 is a six figure car. Mm-hmm. And this car is not going to get close to that in my view, but what is the right price? And if it's, if it would have been a no reserve auction, you really would let the market decide because the market really is what decides the price, not what you wish you could get for it. So I guess we'll see if the if the owner is really serious about selling this thing. But Dave, I wanted you to know a little bit about me. I wanted you to know what really uh, moves the needle for me and this car kind of ticks all those boxes. So Christmas yeah, is we, coming up. I know you're Big Papa. Big Papa's got deep pockets. Do what you can for me, all right? Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. If you buy me the uh, buy me the 928, I'll put a bid on this one for you. How's that? Done. No, no, no. Yeah. Not just a bid, Dave. That's, that's not committing. <laughs> <laughs> not not going to go from my $4,000 car to this thing. So. <laughs> okay. What are you looking forward to? Uh, let's see. Um, you know, I, I guess the the next thing is we've got a, a car coming up at uh, Kansas City at Mecham at the uh, a GT500, which winds my watch, a 70 GT500. Mustang. Uh, Mustang, yeah. Shelby. Um, Ooh. Yeah, it's, it's a neat car because it's, uh, it's red, which is, I know everybody goes, they don't want competition red. I do. 428, 435 horsepower, GT500, which I think is the one to have. Uh, white interior, which of course is a real seventies thing, impossible to keep clean in the real world. They say it's restored. Um, it's not my kind of restoration. I mean, I think there's still things Wait, that need, need to be done. Well, look, uh, you just have to f- scroll through the pictures and you'll find some stuff that did not get done. So somebody spent a lot of money getting stuff done, but they didn't finish it up. Like what? Uh, okay. So look, if you look on the roll bar, which is really not a roll bar, what do they call them when they're not roll bars? The safety bars, hoop the, on the inside. Yeah. Safety yeah. hoop on the inside. The first thing that sticks out to me is the fact that the little hooks on it have rust. And that's not what you do on a restored car. So, uh, oh, um, wow. Know, I'm yeah, seeing I mean, that. Fascinating. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, that's what we look for when we're looking, looking at cars to see how much money was spent on them. Um, so and, wait, I wait, mean, we get zero in on that. So that detail tells you that the restoration potentially was a quickie job and not the careful, I'm going to get everything right job. Well, well, let's talk about restorations for a minute. One man's uh, trip to trip to the car wash is a restoration for one guy, and one guy's complete nut and bolt disassembly for $250,000 is a restoration for the next guy. Uh-huh. So restoration is one of those sliding scale words that uh, you know always gets people 
caught out on these things. But, you know, that's what you look for. You look for, why do they call them a detailer? Because you're looking for the details on the car. And so wow. you want to make sure that everything is, is factory or the way you'd want it or, or whatever. So I, mean, I think those, those points are, are really what you go for. So I wouldn't call this, I mean, you can call it a restored car and that's fine, but this is not like some frame off thing where somebody spent 280,000. If the boot doesn't fit well enough when you're taking the pictures on the car, that tells you something else too. So, so this was a driver quality restoration. I would think so. Yeah. Look at yeah. the door sill plates. Look at the scratches on the door sill plates. I mean, all those things are right there. And those door sill plates are available. You're going and that's all fine. You just have to know so you don't pay perfect prices, right? Yeah, I don't think this car is going to sell for perfect money. I think it'll sell for good money when you consider that the Hegarty Price Guide has a number four at 124 and a number one, oh which gosh. is the best car in the world at 254. I don't think this car is going to get anywhere near 250, but you know, that's what auctions are about. We can wait and see. There could be two people who say, oh I gosh. want that car. So interesting. Cause usually there's a much bigger gap. A number four car is explain what you mean by number. That's a condition. And it's one yeah. through five. Number four means it's just one step away from a parts car, right? Well, yeah, actually kind of two steps away from a parts car, but yeah, it's still a, a number four is a still drivable car. There's going to be excuses you have to make. Yeah. The fender needs repaint. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I had to put the shield seats in because I couldn't find the original seats. Um, and in this particular car, yeah, I painted the hood black in the place I wanted it painted black, but not the place that came from the factory. So, um, you know, that cuts down on condition. You can't have a number one that has excuses. Number two is a really, really, really good car that people would think would be the best car in the world, but your car friends will tell you, no, this is wrong and this needs doing, and this shouldn't have been done. So, uh, you know, it all, it all flows through that way. So a number four is a, what'd you say? 120 and a number one's 250. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It would cost uh, you way more than a hundred to get a number four up to a number one. So then your only option is to buy the number one or two, I would say. I love buying a number one that's been driven down to a number two. I love buying yeah. a former show car that somebody decided, you know, to hell with it. I want to put miles on it. And they've got 7,000, 8,000, 14,000 miles on a number wow. one. That's, that's the car you want to buy. That is the car you want to focus on. As well, it's also, I also like this thing because it, it's sort of, just looking at it visually, you could tell it's straddling two eras, the 60s and like the later 70s, because it's just kind of a, it's got a lot of cool details, but it's not a really harmonic design. It looks a little disjointed to me, um, which is one of the reasons I'm surprised the price is so high, especially considering at this point, Shelby was not really building these cars. It was Ford using the name, building them in Michigan, right? You, you always have to rain on people's parade, <laughs> don't you? I mean, come on. We're yeah, here no, to educate, Dave. This is straight absolutely dope. right. And it was it was it sixty nines that got retitled the seventies. I think that's what it was. Or the, you know, that got oh. released as seventies. I believe you know everybody thinks that their car. You know, great stories. Cobras, for example, four twenty sevens, two eighty nines. They couldn't give them away towards the end of production. They were on dealer lots. They were just sitting there. They weren't practical. People weren't buying them. But now, wow. of course, you know you're talking about a million dollar car. Same thing with the Shelby's. They had a whole bunch that were left over. So the, I believe the 69s became 70s. It might be 70s became 71s. I, you know, I didn't get my Shelby hat on early enough this morning to rem remember that. They sold well, but they didn't, you know, they didn't shake the earth. I had a uh, chemistry teacher in high school who owned one of these things. He owned a coupe, wow. not a convertible, in green with no air conditioning. I remember that. And, um, uh, you know, he was the coolest, coolest teacher in the, in the school because of that. I mean, what a great car to have. 
Well, let's see what happens. Uh, I want to move on to a, a, a really great kind of bookend to this episode. It's our last one, and it also is a great um, uh, car. If we think about that in 1964 Imperial we talked about earlier, this is a car for sale on Haggerty uh, Marketplace. It's it's at auction. It's already got a bid of $10,000. And just how different the design is, it's a 1961 Cadillac 62 convertible. Um, I don't know much about these cars. It really, it doesn't look like these huge boat Cadillacs, but has all that really cool Cadillac styling to it. What do you want yeah. to tell us about these? Well, plenty of chrome, that's for sure. I, well, what I can tell you is that Haggerty Price Guide gives a number four value of 78.9. I'm sorry, wow. a number one, wait a minute. Well, hey, wait a minute. Number one value of 78.9, a number four of 22.5. Now, um, you'd have to have a friend in the chrome business if you needed to rechrome this car. I don't think it needs it. These cars no, is car part good. of what, what, what's called the Ferguson collection. And these cars mm -hmm. are advertised as having been sitting for quite some time. And they're in Leesburg, Indiana. And this is, uh, you know, being done by, uh, uh, broad arrow in conjunction with, uh, with the Haggerty marketplace auctions. So, um, it's got a, uh, it's got a, just a, a great looking car. And this is the, the bid your own price, uh, special because uh, not having been run, not having been on the road, there's going to be issues, but it's a big American car. And the issues probably aren't going to be that great in my humble opinion. Um, uh, but this car's got all that the hard looks. to it's, rectify. Exactly. Right? This, this yeah. car's got all the looks. It's got the great, uh, you know, the, uh, turbo fan, uh, you know, uh, uh, wheels on it, all that sort of stuff. I, I'm making that up. That's not the general motors name. It's cool. It does not, it does not have the bucket seats, which I would have loved to have seen, but, uh, it does have the uh, split batch and, uh, you know, great car. These are fun cars for the money. Talk about presence. I mean, you live in, uh, in Miami beach, you can take it to the uh, club. You live in LA, you can drive it down Melrose. You live in the Midwest, you can drive it anywhere you want. You're going to have fun with it. I think it's an ideal project. It looks well, to this me car, like the, a lot of money was spent on this car. You can tell exactly. just looking under the hood. I mean, you know, anything that's wrong with it went wrong because of the sitting, not because of the, uh, the way it was put together again, in my humble opinion. I mean, it looks cosmetically like I fantastic. So whatever yeah, it, things you're going to rectify is mechanical, which is not yeah, that hard on these. Yeah, it's a high number three car, I would say. Um, yeah, you know, uh, maybe maybe a low number two, but it just needs some time and attention. Winter's coming up. You need a project. That's it. It's, it's still got the extravagant design with those big fins of the '50s era's cars, but it's in a more compact package. So well, this is this is really kind of cool. str straddling the '50s and '60s here, and yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, good luck to everybody who bids, and good luck to the seller, um, Dave. We're 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 coming up the next. Uh, Thanksgiving's coming up next week. Um, I'm just thinking about that BMW N3 with the holidays coming up and what you're going to do for me. Um, but beyond that, is there anything else you want to add before I wish you and your family a happy Thanksgiving? I, I would say that, you know, if you buy that car, I'll pay for the turkey, okay, at your, <laughs> at your house, okay? Well, uh, a broader question. What happens during the holiday times? Everything just kind of slows down, or is it people have time yeah. to bid and they're just sitting around? No, uh, things do slow down, but it's a great time to be looking at cars. I mean, keep in mind that when Uncle Fred and Aunt Harry come over and somebody else in the family has to deal with, uh, uh, with talking to them, uh, you can get on your device and search cars. I think that that's, uh, I, you know, some of the, some <laughs> right. of the, some of the days I think that classifieds, uh, you know, uh, online classifieds get hit the most are Christmas and Thanksgiving weekend when something else is going on or other things are going on. So, 
Uh, yeah, I'll be uh, uh, I'll be in uh, London uh, next time we talk. In, in How very un-American weeks. of you, Dave. But go ahead. Yeah, I know, I know. What can I say? But uh, let, oh, we're celebrating Thanksgiving here at home. Don't worry about that. Okay. Well, uh, thanks everybody for listening. I hope you and your family have a wonderful holiday. Please catch us next time on No Reserve. <laughs>